Psalm 99. I must say, uh, Claire and I had an enjoyable few days of R&R. They, they say that getting there is half the fun, but if you ask my wife, she will, she'll disagree. We were up in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and getting there was... Uh, was difficult for her. She, she wasn't driving, but she was covering her eyes most of the time. Thank God she wasn't. But we did have a nice time away. Um, Psalm 99, so, so appropriate that we just sang, Holy, holy, holy. This psalm can be called the Holy, holy, holy psalm because um, each section ends with a declaration of God's holiness. And, uh, you know, I love how God just puts things together like that. We just, we always need to be reminded of His holiness. It kind of gives us perspective in life. Um, It refers, the psalm refers to three of the ancient leaders of Israel who had a special relationship with God. And, you know, I, although it's ancient in its reference and its writings, it can be applied to today to those who shepherd a flock and how we're continually encouraged and admonished to point people to God's holiness. And in turn, as the Word says, be holy for He is holy. So our goal always is to aspire more and more each day to live a holy holy life, set apart from the things of the world. And like I said, this brings perspective into our life. You know, it basically reminds us that God is holy and we're not. You know, and, and and we need to continue to move in that direction closer to Perfection, which we will never see on this side of eternity, but closer to a life more set apart to God and, and His His ways and His will. So we'll jump in in verses 1 through 3. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion. He is a high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. So we see the first division here ending with a declaration of God's holiness. Now, the fact that He is holy should cause us to rejoice, should cause us to praise Him. One of the main reasons that we do praise Him is because He reigns. He reigns in in the earth. And although... Sometimes we look out and we see the events and the situations and the circumstances in this world. We have to always remember that God reigns, that God is on the throne. We tremble in awe of Him, not at the things that are going on in the world, but we tremble in awe of God knowing that He is sovereign. And then we see the scene here of God's dwelling place between the cherubim, on the, on the mercy seat, that place where God's presence dwelt. 
and the fact that he dwells between on the mercy seat gives us a view into his mercy and his grace in our lives. And now, as believers, we know that his spirit dwells within each and every one of us. And there's that dichotomy there where God calls us to be holy for he is holy and yet he dwells inside of us. And so we need to be separate from sin and the only way we can do that is by the empowering and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we see it all come together beautifully. So our rejoicing here is because of his holiness. And it's because he is holy that we are counted righteous by trusting in him. You see, we're, we're sort of given that, that righteousness of Jesus because we trust in what he did on the cross for us. So it's an awesome thing that God doesn't see us, that he doesn't see our sin. He sees us righteous in Jesus Christ. And then in verses four and five, it says, the king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. So the second division here that tells us of God's holiness. Now, they're speaking here of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But we can also make a contrast to the earthly rulers, not only back in that day, but also in, to, in today's day, where, you know, we see the corrupt, corruption, and we see the, the unfairness, and we see the inequity, and we, and we wonder and we pray, you know, for God to do something. And so, as opposed to the earthly kings that are corrupt, God's reign is perfect. You know, God, it says in verse 4, the king's strength also loves justice. So there's that dual nature that we see of God. The strength, the justice, the equity, and we see his righteousness. He's the king of kings and the mercy seat is his throne. So we see again the justice of God sort of set against his mercy and his grace. But because he is holy, he must execute judgment on those who will not believe. It says, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. So, he's not unfair in his judgment. He's completely fair. But his judgment also represents impartiality. In, in Acts 10, 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. No respecter of persons. That means He sees us all on an, on an even playing field. And as we've, you know, we've, we've been told and we've heard, you know, God doesn't look at our economic status. He doesn't look at who we know like the world does. He doesn't look, like, look at how much money we have or education. So we're, he's impartial when he comes to our, 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 his justice that he executes. Doesn't matter our background. Doesn't matter, matter the situation we find ourselves in. God accepts anyone who comes to him in humility. And like it says in John 3.16, 
And I loved, I like the, the King James Version because we, we can use some of those old English words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth, whosoever. So all of us are those whosoevers. You know, each person who comes to him, whosoever should believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the impartiality, the fairness of God, we see in this psalm. And then in verses 6 through 9, it says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God, for you were to, you were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. So again, the third division of the psalm ending with that declaration of his holiness. God is holy. And God's righteous judgment was witnessed by the three that are mentioned in these verses. Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. God's law was given to Moses. He had that special relationship with God. And as a priest before the people, Aaron saw God's judgment on his own sons when they sinned against God by bringing an improper offering to him. And then Samuel saw God carry out his judgment on Eli's house because of his sin. So each of these men of old saw God's judgment executed. And yet, they all recognized the Lord as the God who forgives. And I love that. I love that about God. He, he, he shows us his, his dual nature all the time so that we don't just see His vengeance. You know, a lot of people who don't know the entirety of the, especially of the Old Testament, will say, well, the, the God of the Old Testament is just a God of judgment and vengeance. And yet we see here that those Old Testament saints saw him as the God who forgives. The God who forgives. So that, that's a verse in the Psalms that we can take people to and say, no. God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always had justice and righteousness and judgment. But he also always had mercy and grace and forgiveness. Same God. So it's like... I compare it to us as parents when we, we always want to forgive our children, but we need to also discipline them when they go astray. We love them. We want, to, we, we want to bring right things into their life and teach them the right way. But when they go off the, off the right tra- track, the right path, we want to also bring them back, but we will forgive them. So we see that, you know, He's our Heavenly Father. So he will, he will always forgive. And, and again, we see holiness you know, declared at the end of that section of the psalm. Uh, psalm 100, a short psalm of five verses. They all point toward thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. 
It, it speaks of how we're to demonstrate it, why we should offer it, and the attributes of God who is worthy of our gratitude. So, just reading through the psalm, a psalm of thanksgiving, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. So we see here in the first verse, our thanksgiving should be with excitement and enthusiasm. Now think about all the blessings that we receive from the Lord. And, and doesn't that just give you reason to shout joyfully to Him? It gives us, again, also perspective on life. So we don't focus on the, the bad things in our life because we know how much He's given us, how many blessings that He pours down upon us. And we should be thankful of all of that. The outcome, again, of thankfulness is a life of service. We serve others and we serve Jesus Christ out, out of our gratitude for what He's done. It says in verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. So part of our thanksgiving, how we show thanksgiving to the Lord is to serve. It says in Matthew 25, 37 through 40, it says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So we serve others, and in turn we're serving the Lord, and that's an outpouring of our gratitude. And God, had, God has created us for worship and for thanksgiving. And I love the, I love the verse that says, that says uh, it is He who made us and not we ourselves. Well, that kind of goes without saying. We really couldn't have done that. But I think... What it's trying to say there is that, that God is sovereign in our lives. You know, and, and if we think we have anything to do with any good that comes in our lives, you know, we can become prideful and unappreciative and not recognize that God is the one who brings the blessings. It says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, comes from, from the Lord above, who doesn't change. And so we know that He desires to bless us and all of our blessings. We always remember they come from God. So three, three reasons to be thankful. He is good all the time. You know, we hear, we hear uh, that said a lot. God is good all the time. So it doesn't matter what we're going through, we know that He's good. His mercy is everlasting. You know, when we think we've out lasted His mercy, we know that he, he still 
can forgive. He shows us more. And His truth endures. His truth endures. His Word endures forever. The truth of His Word is above everything. It says in Psalm 119, verse, verse 160, The entirety of your Word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So we see the, the, the frailty of this world and, uh, and everything that fades away, and we know that God's truth, God's Word endures forever. Moving on to Psalm 101, this psalm sort of gives us practical ways of praising the Lord. You know, in verse 100, we shouted thanksgiving and declared His holiness in, verse, in, in Psalm 99. The next logical thing for us to do as believers is to now live it out. Live it out. How do we practically praise the Lord in our lives? So, starting in verses uh, one, 1 and 2, a psalm of David... I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when, we, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. So here, just starting right off, practical ways of praising the Lord. Singing of His mercy. And then walking worthy of, of Him. You know, we just... We studied that a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean to walk worthy of God? And so our behavior needs to be glorifying to Him. Everything we do, we need to give thought to. Is this glorifying to God? In Ephesians 5, and again we, we, we spoke about this before, then see that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. So there in Psalm 101, I will behave wisely. We have to give thought to what we do. Not just sort of meander through, the, through this life. We always want to please the Lord, and we always want to behave in a way that glorifies Him. And then back to Psalm 101 in verses 3 and 4, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. So another way that we honor Him, that we praise Him in our relationship is to make sure that we guard our eyes from anything that will bring corruption into our life. You know, we had a discussion today about what that means. You know, for, for each of us, you know, we all have certain sensitivities to things. There are certain things certainly that are that are prescribed in the Scriptures that we should stay away from. But there are certain things in this world that are not necessarily spoken of, but do those things, are those things edifying to you? Are they glorifying to God? Or are they seen as something wicked before your eyes that you need to stay away from? Also, someone who has known the Lord and walked away is really guilty of a greater sin because they've already experienced His grace. And then they've turned their backs on Him. Uh, we need to separate ourselves also from those who don't know God. 
says there, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A, prefer, a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. David here is making choices in his life that will glorify God. You know, we don't want to get pulled into things that, that are not glorifying to him by other, by other people. And I believe that we can, that can happen to us when we associate with unbelievers on a regular basis. And listen, this is, it's difficult. You know, we, we work, you know, uh, in the working world or we, you know, we have neighbors and friends and family who don't know the Lord and we certainly want to be able to minister to them. You know, so how do we do that and yet not get drawn in? You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? So it's not just, a, it's not just casual you know, associations or friendships with people. It's being yoked together. It's walking you know, with those people throughout your life. And who is influencing who? And we need to be careful of that. So these are, again, practical ways that David is, is trying to show us that we honor and praise the Lord. Verses 5 and 6 says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way shall serve me. So, David now is contrasting those he will not be influenced by with those he will be influenced by. He says, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, slander, that Hebrew word is lashan. It means to slander boldly with the tongue. You know, do you associate with people who either gossip or speak ill of others, tear people down instead of building people up? And he attributes that to pride. Because what you're doing is you're sort of tearing them down to make yourself look, look better in someone else's eyes. So, as a contrast, David will look to those who love God as his friends and his acquaintances, those who he will yoke himself together in this life. And then in verses 7 and 8, as we finish up, he who dis works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So David here now mentions two more things that he keeps himself from. Deceit and lying. He won't accept that in his presence. You know, when we come across someone who's just untrustworthy, someone who we just can't, can't believe you know, who's deceitful, who's always trying to, you know, to uh, sort of, uh, you know, who brings lies into everything. It just doesn't, it doesn't sound right. We want to keep, we want to keep ourselves, um, you know, away from those people because, you know, they could, again, bring bad influences on our life. And we see enough deceit in this world, don't we? And so why should our, our closest the closest people to us, you know, be deceitful. We want to free ourselves of that. So again, practical ways to just live out 
um, you know, honoring and praising the Lord. And um, we have time. We'll go through Psalm 102. It's a long psalm, but we're going to sort of condense it into a few different segments. Psalm 102 is a psalm of grievance, a, a psalm of grievance for the suffering. But the one suffering is afflicted not for his own sake, but for the sake of others. You know, how many times we cry out to the Lord in others, on others' behalf? You know, it's like when we hear, a, you know, a, a sad news story. You know, we just, we're just filled with sorrow and we feel empathy and our prayers go out on behalf of those, those people. So, like many psalms, this psalm can be divided into two attitudes or two sentiments. The first part is sorrow and complaint. And the second part is that of a better day ahead. One commentary that I read puts it this way. The whole composition may be compared to a day which, opening with wind and rain, clears up at noon and is warm with the sun, continues fine with intervening showers, and finally closes with a brilliant sunset. So, you know, some days are just like that. Some days just start off really rough, you know, and, and, you know, and then they get better as the day goes on. And, you know, it's nice when you see that brilliant sunset, you know, how beautiful it is. Jumping in in verses 1 and 2, a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let me and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me. In the day that I call, answer me speedily. So, the psalmist here crying out to God. And, you know, I love the fact that this distress is not his own. And it's not of his own making. It's, you know, he's crying out to the Lord on behalf of others. And I think for us, we can do the same thing. Those intercessory prayers, you know, and that sense of urgency and pleading God for God to intervene. And I think about, you know, the 300 kidnapped girls in uh, Nigeria and, and, you know, how our prayers go out. God, intervene. You know, do something. And so, you know, sometimes we have more passion in our prayers that go out for others. Verses 3 through 5, the psalmist writes, For my days are consumed with like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. My heart is stricken and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. Because of the sounding, sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. So here the psalmist is having physical effects of the, the affliction that he feels on behalf of others. So our hearts, his heart is breaking. Our hearts break for those who are going through difficult times. And sometimes we can, you know, it might be difficult for us to, to eat. We can lose our appetite because we're in such distress over, over something that's happening to somebody else even. You know, I remember when 9-11 happened, you know, we were, weren't directly affected as far as somebody we personally knew. But it, did it make you, did, did anyone lose their appetite? I know it was difficult during that, those first few days 
You know, because the empathy went out to those who, you know, who, who were suffering. So I think that's, that, you know, we can make that comparison to what the psalmist is saying. Then in verses 6 through 11, it says, I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I lie awake, and I'm like a sparrow alone on a housetop. My enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. You know, to, to make the comparison that that commentary made, you know, it's pouring now. You know, the wind is driving and the rain is really coming down in the psalmist's life. He's, you know, he's feeling weak. You know, he compares himself to a harm, harmless and frail bird. Instead of the courage of a lion or a bear, he's, he feels weak and fearful. But think about it. His, his, his emotions have affected his witness. You know, people have, are deriding him. You know, they're probably saying to him, I thought you had a relationship with God. Don't, don't you trust that he'll take care of this situation? So we need to be careful that we don't get so down, you know, even, even in empathy to others, that we destroy and affect the witness that we may have to others. So now we see the mood shifting. In the, ne- in the next few verses, in verses 12 through 17, the mood shifts from heartbreak to hopeful. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion, for the time to favor her, yes, the, t- the set time has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. So he moves here from heartbreak to hope, to hope in God for the deliverance, for the nation. So whatever was going on at this time, it was a nationwide distress. And so he's praying in that way. The suffering is temporary, but God's mercy is eternal. I love that comparison. Our prayers will be answered because he's a God of comfort. Always to keep that in mind. First Peter 5.7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Remembering God cares. Remembering that the the the, tempor- the suffering is temporary, and God's mercy and grace is eternal. Then in verses eighteen through twenty-one, he writes, "This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, for He looked down from the height of His sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death." to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem. So, 
I love this. Now he's, he's moved from, uh, from heartbreak to hope. And now what he's doing is he's sort of recording all of this so that those who read it in the future will, will gain some perspective and, and get some instruction. I love that. David's recording the Psalms so that those who come after him may know of his relationship with God and sort of find common ground. Can we relate to what David is writing here? Can we relate when we feel empathy towards others in a situation that's, that's very difficult? I don't think he realized all these many years later that we would be gaining application for our lives. But it's true that there's nothing new under the sun. One reason he recorded this is so that we may praise the Lord for His goodness. So that we may praise the Lord for His goodness. God, you know, was merciful and gracious and the psalmist knew that that he could put his hope in God and so now we have this recorded so that we can also put our hope in God. And then to to close up here, now the beauty of the end of the day when the psalmist sees God's grace and faithfulness in verses 25 through 28. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants be established before you. What beautiful hope we have here in the fact that God, who created all things, will endure forever. The awesome power of creation is a reason for hope. Knowing that God is stronger and more powerful than anything that we're going through, than any enemy we come come upon, than any difficulty that we have in our life. God is more powerful. And just to prove that, He created the worlds. So is He not able to deal with your situation and my situation? He sustained the whole universe. He's able to carry us through no matter what we experience. And because He will endure forever, those who trust in Him will have everlasting life. One verse to close up. Revelation 3.21 To Him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with Me on My throne as I also overcame and sat down with My Father on His throne. That's the hope that we have of eternal life. Trusting in Jesus. Let's pray.